1: Healer. Fury.
0: You are listening to the SteelerFury.com podcast, your Pittsburgh Steelers show. I'm your host, Bradshaw Ben, aka Accidental Zen on Twitter, also known as Will Massasack occasionally. Shout out to Bethel Park in the house this week. Uh, And guys, we have a special treat for you today. Later in the show coming up, we will have an interview with pretty much Pittsburgh royalty, a member of the Rooney family. Uh, written a great book about Dan Rooney uh, called A Different Way to Win and his name is Jim Rooney he will be joining us a little bit later today so be on your best behavior boys Uh, with me as always are my cohorts Uh, first from Pittsburgh Suburban Zone 22 his name is Steel Perch he's with us how are you sir doing well thank you and also with us from somewhere in the south his name is FC he's with us how are you sir
1: I'm also doing very well, thank you for asking
0: that's <laughs> no, the most polite intro we've ever had on the show um, I guess it's like the, you know it's like the parents are in town, yeah, I got it um, so gents let's talk a little bit about your Pittsburgh Steelers, who somehow are seven and one in their last eight games, which yeah. is incredible enough, um, and they've been doing it lately with a quarterback who uh, most people in the NFL circles or NFL fans had probably never heard of until about two weeks ago. Uh, And uh, you know, I don't think they're doing it with smoke and mirrors. They look pretty good this last week. I'll start with you, Perch. What was your biggest takeaway from the uh, Steelers victory in Arizona?
2: Well, boy, I mean, the defense travels. We've known that that defense is as good as there is in the NFL. I mean, their ability to stop the passing game, their ability to pass rush. uh, I think they did a pretty good job against the run. And they had another test against the mobile quarterback and, and did really well there. So that and then the red zone defense really uh, was, I think, a big factor in that game too, where T.J. Watt getting that interception and and just being able to keep teams limiting from score, holding, you know, bad field position or, you know, a, a good drive by the other team and holding that to a, a field goal attempt or creating a turnover makes all the difference in a game. And a close game like that, ended up being, it was, you know, a couple of plays that really made the difference.
0: And FC, to, to Perch's point about the defense – I mean, I'd say th- another remarkable thing is that how many different guys are contributing on defense, not just, you know, doing their job, but actually making standout plays. Uh, what was your takeaway?
1: Basically, you know, it's a 11-man unit. Uh, I don't have much to add, which is kind of funny because my am a toss <laughs> type of guy. But, uh, you know, it, uh, they sealed the edge. They kept rush lanes. Um, defensive backs stayed in the back pocket of receivers for the most part special teams, everything was, it was a solid team win.
0: Yeah. It's like if the show becomes boring when they play well, because there's just not so much to talk about. Um, but I think that was a, you know, Arizona is, is not a great team, but they're not terrible. They have given some other teams some games. They're one, three tied one with a rookie quarterback. I, I mean, personally, I I just felt like uh, there's, they've got not just momentum, but it feels like they're building something that's sustainable. um, uh, the defense part of it is pretty obvious because they've you know they right now they're dominating the league in terms of turnovers and sacks and pressures um but but offensively you know without some of their best guys and and down to their you know what do you whatever you want to call them third or fourth string quarterback I feel like they figured out a way to manage to get enough out of that offense I guess the question is you know do you think what they're doing on offense right now is sustainable we've had this conversation a couple times uh this year I I mean, I think I think mean, it's changed. I think last week was was the
2: first time. I mean, they came out with a, the most aggressive, I would say, game plan with since they've had Duck Hodges in there, where they came out with some misdirection. They came out throwing the ball first down early in the game, and it was just the most cohesive you've seen that offense all, all season. Um, that, that was, you know, to me, and it, again, they've been playing so close to the best. They, part of that probably was the Cardinals had you know, the worst pass defense in the league, and Still, we only threw it for 152 yards again, <laughs> so it's not like they're, they're going to take a lot of chances. But uh, you know, the the addition of Kareth White just adds something different to that run game. And between him and Benny Snell, you have two such different styles. And when they're blocking up well, the two guys are going to continue to move the chains. They could just continue to find ways to mix in different different things with the pass and you know every week it seems like a different receivers coming forward and, and having a big game Deontay johnson was was really outstanding this week you know with the big punt return and then just think you know the the no 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 yes play where he he caught that short screen nothing was there and he almost lost seven yards and turned around and, and busted the corner and made a big run out of it so uh, deon Kane another week another big catch out of him so you've it, it got some different guys contributing in different ways and different roles I, I was just to me i was happy to see that they came out a little bit more aggressive i saw a stat earlier this week on shanahan out in san francisco that, like every year for the last five years whatever team that he's been the, the coordinator or coach of has led the league in motion before snap and he's had pretty much the best offense everywhere he's gone it's been very consistently good and that was on this show, one of the things that we've really complained about is just the lack of window dressing and the things with the Ravens. We see them doing with Lamar Jackson, just a ton of jet sweeps and, and window dressing, and then they just run power. You know, if we can get more of that out of the offense, to take a little bit more of the pressure off the duck and then mix some play action. in, I think that's the kind of the next steps to go forward. But this was a good step this week to,
0: you know, open things up for the offense. So FC, let's talk a little bit about Deontay Johnson, James Washington, guys that they have kind of rolling right now, Deion Cain making some key plays. And now introducing back into this Juju Smith-Schuster, I mean, obviously you're adding some talent back into the pool and that should help and possibly James Conner as well. You know, they've been working out pretty good with this sort of cast of characters rotating in and out and role-playing. How do you think that'll the return of... Connor and and Juju, if that happens this week, how is that going to affect the Steelers' offensive plan?
1: Probably not too much. It's just that you add more skill to the offense. Along with more skill, um, if Juju's right, Juju's a hell of a run blocker. And you never know when a four- or five-yard run can turn into a bigger run just because... I mean, James Watson's a good blocker. Deion Kane, when he's on the field, is a good blocker. But, I mean... Deontay Johnson's more a slight bill guy. He'll give the effort, but he can't necessarily get it done to where Juju can manhandle some corners. Oh. And, you know, James Conner busted some big plays last season, and Juju was a big part of it, you know, blocking at the second and third level. Those are the types of things I look for. You know, James Conner, you know, breaks a ton of tackles. I'm not saying that Jalen Samuels or Benny Snell or White cannot, but he just brings a physical a uh, physicalness back to the offense, and he's passionate. So that could lift the spirits of the boys up front. The types of things I look for is just they're talented and consistent. They're just both going to have to protect the football. And that's the only concerns I have with them both coming back after being off for a couple weeks. is Both have had ball security issues. That's something they're going to have to really, really pay attention to
0: yeah it's like th- three three guys they have who've had some ball security issues are either coming off of injury right now or in concussion protocol and maybe coming off of that that's a that's something definitely to to be wary of because i think when guys are you know haven't played for a while or coming off concussion protocol they're definitely more likely to make that kind of uh mistake uh so something to look forward to hopefully not <laughs> hopefully we don't find out um perch if if everyone's healthy this week, and right now Jalen Samuels is didn't practice yesterday. I don't know about today, but if they were all healthy this week, who do you sit? They've now got like, like a whole parade of, of running backs on the on the team, and you know, ordinarily I might say you know Trey Evans would be the guy that I would think about sitting, except for this this week is a NFL history being made with the three brothers. How do you see that playing out on Sunday? How many points do you get for having three brothers on the field?
2: <laughs> there's your there, there's your answer. I mean, well, I wouldn't bring James. I, I wouldn't bring James Conner back unless we're sure that that shoulder's ready to go. And I just I think it's one of those things that don't rush him back because one, like you said, with the turnovers, you get hit in a bad shoulder, you're more likely to cough the ball up, and two, he gets hurt again, and he's probably done for the year. You know, so to me. If he's not 100, percent don't rush him back. That's the guy you said. If they're all back, Edmonds, what's the point? I mean, you you you've you've got. At that point, Benny Snell is your short yardage, you know, tough running between the tackles guy. White is your more explosive guy. You know, Samuels is your out of the backfield guy, and then Connor is is your workhorse that so you just don't need him. So that that's who you would sit.
0: Yeah, but Ed, Evans is a special teams guy though, which is not the smallest thing. Special teams actually have been playing pretty well lately. I'm with you, but I also think there's a human side to it when you're the coach, and you're like the guy. He's written it on his calendar and circled it for, for three months now. That this is the game with his brother. I don't know. I just feel like it's if if you you're not sacrificing something on special teams by keeping him, or you know, sacrificing something about a backup at another position. I don't have a problem with keeping him now, using him and giving him touches in the game. Different story. Let's move on a little bit and talk about the matchup this week against Buffalo. You know, for the Steelers' playoff hopes. It kind of feels like this is really the make or break game. It's kind of, you know, a lot of stuff the rest of the season is going to play out based on what happens on Sunday night. And I would say FC Buffalo is a a team that I could believe them beating anybody. And I could also believe them losing to anybody. They're in that sort of phase of their development. Um, and their quarterback is in that phase where he's capable of looking like a Hall of Famer or looking absolutely unkempt. What do you expect in terms of the atmosphere, and just the general matchup this week against the Buffalo Bills.
1: I found it humorous that Bill's fans thought they were going to invade Pittsburgh, and then they realized there ain't many seats available. And then they realized the seats that are available are going to be quite expensive. It's Sunday night. Like you said, the Steelers are 7-1 in their last you know, eight games. I expect the home crowd of Western Pennsylvania – Ladies and gentlemen, to be quite marinated by the time they kick off at 815. Um, I expect to see 1970s, 1980s football where you're going to, both teams are going to attempt to establish the run game, play good defense and special teams, win the battlefield position. I don't expect to see too many empty sets, four wide receiver sets, spread offense from either team. Just not what they do. What quarterback can make the most plays with and make the least amount of mistakes is gonna determine who wins this game. I truly believe that. Buffalo is a physical team. They are very successfully successful on defense. They're different than the Steelers. They do it in a different fashion, but uh they play as a unit and their coach, uh Sean Sean McDermott is uh, very underrated. Um, I think he puts together great game plans. He had a great game plan for New England earlier this season. I'm impressed. I'm impressed with the, with what with, with, with Buffalo does. I think the Steelers can possibly win enough matchups up front that they're going to be able to successfully get their run game going. I'm not certain I can say the same thing for the Bills. I think the Steelers are going to feed off the home crowd. So I would give them a slight advantage. But I expect this game to be a slobber knocker war.
0: So, Perch, it feels like, the, you know, from the Bills' standpoint, their best chance is to try to make something happen with their quarterback, the quarterback with the ball in his hands, running the football a little bit more. I'm wondering if you see the Bills being able to just straight up run against the Steelers.
2: I mean, to an extent, I don't think that they're going to be able – I don't think anybody in the league is really going to be able to just run the ball against the Steelers. Our front's too good. Uh, that's just, I think, what it is. You know, Devin Singletary, since he's been in there for those guys, he's averaging over five yards a carry. Uh, they they have more designed quarterback runs with Josh Allen than you've seen some of the other teams uh, do. They, he doesn't just take off and, you know, out of a passing situation and, and start running, but uh, he does, uh, you know, a little bit more designed, you know, drop him back and then take off or bootlegs and things like that. So I just don't think they can throw against the Steelers. And that's my thing. Josh Allen, if you watched him against the Ravens last week, and he throws 100 miles an hour, but no touch on his ball. He could throw really far and he can run really fast, but he's just, I don't see a great deal of accuracy and touch on his passes. Uh, And if you look at their core of receivers, we keep making fun of the Steelers' receivers this year. I think ours are better than Buffalo's. I mean, John Brown is the guy I wanted to sign this in free agency is our third receiver and he's the top dog and he don't, don't get me wrong he's a, a good solid uh, nfl receiver it's basically him and cole beasley who's a uh, fancier brian switzer you know maybe that's a little bit of an insult to him but it's pretty much what he is right he's, he's he's a slot guy that beat out switzer down in the in dallas and that's really it i mean dawson knox is a tight end we talked about a lot in the draft process athletic guy had a couple nice mm-hmm. stiff arm plays this year and you know a, a good receiving tight end and Again, they just don't have a lot of depth to their receivers. Again, and on the road, at night, Pittsburgh never loses at home at night, especially with their throwback uniforms. It's going to be, like you guys mentioned, it's going to be a wild crowd, a young quarterback coming into that. All that stuff points in Pittsburgh's favor. I think in the trenches, kind of like SC said, I could definitely see us winning more of those matchups than Buffalo. Uh, I think our defensive line is going to do it. I think the Steelers are going to key on shutting down that running game. And if we get a lead and stop their run, I think they'll be able to knock Josh Allen around. He took a lot of shots last year. I was wondering if he was even going to make it to the game this week. He took so many shots. Yeah. And the Steelers' pass is a couple notches better than Baltimore. So he's going to take a whooping again this week. Uh, again, the key is no stupid turnovers. Try and get an early lead, and you have Buffalo right where you want them. It's, it's two very, very similar teams if you look at up and down the roster. Just how they play and who they are are very similar
0: sure i think the josh allen's bravery in the pocket is a double edged sword you know it's it he definitely will stand in there and try to make a play but he's like you said taking a lot of hits he's in that early stage i'm telling you man he's to me josh allen is a you know it's young elway watching elway's first couple of years in denver you know very similar he could look horrible for 3 quarters and then you know start making some plays in the fourth quarter and get hot and before you know it you got a game so that's the kind of thing uh, you know more concerned about but as you said, Steelers win quite often uh, at, home, at home at night. I got Mike Tomlin, they won almost 80% of their games, night games at home for a variety of reasons, I'm sure. Uh, but FC, what I was thinking about the last uh, time, you were talking about Sean McDermott game planning. And that is, if you're game planning against the Pittsburgh Steelers offense, I think you have a significant problem, which is who do you try to shut down? By that, I mean, n- nobody is really carrying the full load uh, and it just feels like no matter what you do, you, you'd be wasting resources to try to, you know, like, let's take away Deontay Johnson. Let's take away Juju. Let's take away James Washington. Let's take away the power run game. It just seems like they because they're not that great at anything, they're also a little bit more difficult to game plan for. Does that make sense?
1: It does. Um, I think the Bills are going to come into in this game trying to take away the Steelers run game, make them, you know, one-dimensional Make make our rookie quarterback win the game for him, which don't, may not be the best plan. Our rookie quarterbacks made some pretty clutch throws, you know, in his limited number of starts. But yeah, I, I can see what you're getting at with with that, and I don't disagree. But I expect that McDermott is going to, you know, fully try to control a line of scrimmage and eliminate the Steelers' run game.
0: Yeah, I feel like he'll McDermott will create some. uh Complex looks for for duck. I mean, I think that'll be the strategy. It's like, well, let's see, let's see what you can do when we've kind of taken away your run game and we're making you hesitate for a second to think about where the ball is going to go. That's sort of a strategy. It's just perch. I I love Chadavis uh, Wright. What's the, what is yeah. the corner's name? Oh, she, yeah, Chadavis yeah, White. Yeah,
2: somebody I thought we should have drafted in the first round back in back in that draft when we needed corners. He's really good. I think he's maybe one of the ten best corners in the league right now. And I tell you what. <laughs> Jermaine Edmonds is really freaking good you yeah. know, for his, uh, you know, the Steelers got the, the short end of the stick on the Edmonds family. That's for sure. He, <laughs> I think he's one of the best inside linebackers in the game, uh, regardless of, of age. He's, he's really good. Just watching him play the last few weeks, just trying to uh, prepare for, for for this game coming up. And he's just uh, all over the place. And you can see why uh, he went as high as he kid.
0: Yeah. You can see that where the talent is on their defense and they have a corner that can take away your, if you go, if you're, an offense that's heavily dependent upon one wide receiver, you can imagine that you stick white on that guy and he's going to get, you know, not necessarily completely shut down, but he's going to have a hard day. That's why I feel like in a way, you know, you're taking white and you're going to, if you put him in stick him in man and try to get him to take away somebody, you're sort of wasting your resources a little bit because he's not going to be covering some superstar, you know, that you're taking away from the Steelers offense. I think FC hit the nail on the head. It's a really, you know, it's kind of mirror image teams uh, in terms of what they, what they have to offer. And when uh, their pieces fit, you know, when they have good matchups, uh, it could really work for them. And when the matchups aren't that great, they can struggle. And I think that's true for, you know, that's been true for both teams. I've seen you mentioned in the trenches about the matchups, but in terms of, uh, you know, talk about Buffalo's offense for a second and their no name receiver crew and their ability to run the football. This matchup for them, like I said, I feel like they'll maybe struggle to run the football, although I like Devin Singletary. I don't know what you think about their run game in Singletary.
1: Oh, I like Devin Singletary. I fear John Brown. Don't get me wrong. But that, Dawson Knox as well. But those are the three skill position players outside the quarterback that concern me. Blah has talent. It's just their offensive line's not great. And I don't think that they can. Push teams out of the box, and uh, because they don't have a second legitimate threat in the passing game, John Brown can just run like a deer, and he's made plays. He's he's cooled off. He was the beginning of the year. He looked like he was this Mike Wallace, this grease lightning. But he, he he has talent, and he's fast, and he can stretch. You know, he can stretch an offense. Devin Singletary is wow. I didn't think he was going to be as good immediately in the NFL. I've seen the talent in college. The one thing is, is he'll go a little, a little more east-west than he should. He needs to remember, he's a 215-pound back. He reminds me a lot of Joe Mixon. And people are going to say, might take that the wrong way, because he's a bangle, and the bangle suck. Joe Mixon's a hell of a running back. And that's what I see in Devin Singletary.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting comparison. Um- so, Perch, you know, the Steelers have their own Florida Atlantic running back and Kareth White, who was the backup to Devin Singletary. I'm wondering if, uh, you know, if you're Coach Tallman, do you put a little bug in Kareth White's ear and you're like, "This here's, here's your chance to, you know, we're going to give you the ball a couple of times. Here's your chance to show that you deserve your NFL opportunity, even when you were in college or something to that effect. I just, you know, seems to be good at pressing those kinds of buttons. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'll leave that up to Coach Tomlin. I would run the guy regardless because he's been effective. He's been really I don't good about <laughs> so he
0: played for in college and
2: motivation and playing against somebody. He's damn effective when he gets the ball. He's just he's got a gear. We haven't had a back that really had that extra gear since really Willie Parker. I mean, where you could just see a small hole and the guy bust through it and he's gone. You know, it's just that. But he runs between the tackles. He's got good vision and and he's not. You know, just uh, he's not tiny either. Yeah, he's not. He's not tiny. He's not just somebody that you can. You know that you're afraid to run between to run power with. You know, so he's maybe they got something there. I mean, he might be a, to me that's the ideal kind of off pace back. Because the Steelers always love these 230 pound brutes that can run between the tackles and can take a bunch of hits and real durable. And they've, if, you know, if you're dating and you got a type, you know, the Steelers definitely got a type. You know, and, and she's a big, she's a big girl too. <laughs> so, yes, I just we, we love, to have that that. That off off speed
0: off year guy is to me I, I think there's definitely a role for him going forward. They've done a very good job the last couple of weeks of uh, you know knowing what their parade of running backs can do and getting each of them in position to succeed, which which I like. FC last question for you uh, before we move on, and that is we talked about what we don't think Buffalo will be able to do against the Steelers on either side of the ball. What do you think Buffalo will do that can? Make things difficult for the Steelers. In other words, where can Buffalo succeed in this game and make it uh, more of a battle?
1: Play action pass to secondary receivers. Meaning, everyone's going to have their eyes on John Brown. Everybody's going to, you know, be aware of him. You know, the the Bills' no name second, third, and fourth wide receiver, and Dotson Knox, and also Devin Singletary in the run game on angle routes. The play action pass and angle routes to. Singletary, and even Frank Gore out uh, of the backfield would concern me. Um, Devin Bush had some incredibly good plays. He struggles at times to read, and we, the Steelers, have times struggle with run fits, which causes a little bit of overaggression from the linebackers against the run, and they can be successful to play action pass.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Well, gentlemen, um, we will come back to uh – have a look around the league and pick some games and also to give our uh, predictions for what will happen in this week's matchup with the Steelers and Bills. But before that, we have a very special guest interview, and we're going to go to that right now. We are now delighted to have as our special guest here on the SteelersFury.com podcast, a graduate of the St. Bernard Elementary School in Mount Lebanon uh, and part of the distinguished legacy of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, in his father's life's work. He has written a new book about it that's called A Different Way to Win, Dan Rooney's story from the Super Bowl to the Rooney Rule. Mr. Jim Rooney is with us. How are you, sir?
3: Hey, Will. It's great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. I, and you know, I, there's another famous guy out in L.A. who went to St. Bernard's. <laughs> yeah, and that is? You know, Joe Magnello, the, uh, the great actor from Pittsburgh. I think he was about... Uh, Ten years younger than me, but uh, he he's a Saint Ber- Saint Bernard's grad as well.
0: Oh, that's great! Yeah, Joe's a good guy. Uh, we worked together once. I work in movies and TV uh, my regular right. life, and um, and of course we start talking about you know Steelers about thirty seconds in and made everybody uh, you know else on set like oh, who are these guys? <laughs> um, because you know when you're from Pittsburgh, it's your national honor to be a Steelers fan, and I know for people who who didn't grow up in Pittsburgh or maybe are not you know the Biggest Steelers fans who are listening to the show, you know, being a Rooney in Pittsburgh is sort of like being a Kennedy, maybe only more famous. So that's my first question for you: is you know, what what was life like for you growing up
3: being a Rooney? Well, it's it's a it's a privilege when you know people people sort of recognize you, and um, you know, I, I hope I've I've tried to carry myself in the way that that my grandfather and father would expect, and trust me, they had high expectations. They understood that. That people did, uh, you know, look to them for a, for a certain amount of, of leadership, and so I've tried to live that life of of dignity, respect, which were really important to them, and, and contribution to others. I will say, look, the people in Pittsburgh have given a lot more to the Roonies than the Roonies ever gave to Pittsburgh. So I'm I'm
1: grateful to, to everyone
3: here.
0: Oh, that's a, a a fine way of putting it. This book details a, the life of uh, somebody who has. Uh, an incredible legacy, not just in football, but of course, in the greater picture of the sort of the social structure of how football, such a big part of American life, affects Americans and diversity and so on. And then also, you know, his work as an ambassador. Um, but you know, one thing I note about this book is you're pretty involved, in, you know, you were there. You know, you're 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 not just zelig a, a person on the corner who's watching what's happening. Yeah, I think you kind of downplay your own participation. And I, I just wonder, you know, as part of that shadow of being a Rooney, maybe you're more comfortable being in the background and being the person that tells the story.
3: Well, I, I, I've enjoyed putting the story together. Um, but look, I understand, and, and and hopefully I did a few good things along the way, but I understood <laughs> that, um, you know, in most of the situations I talk about in the book, you know, I wouldn't be there if it wasn't for my father. So if, if I made any contribution at all, I understand that the the pathway was, was, you know, standing next to him and, and trying to help him. And, and, um, you know, certainly towards the end, uh, a lot of the stuff in, in, as the, in the ambassadorship uh, some of the things with the connected to the Rooney rule and, and, and even some other things with the league. Um, you know, I, I was, I was a guide with them. Certainly my brother art takes care of all of the Art is the president of the team takes care of the football stuff. And, and I think all the major league initiatives for the last you know, twenty years, but but when Dad was involved and I was with him, I I tried to be as supportive as I could.
0: Yeah, I think that's just a great. It's great, just just good to note that that you're your own person and you you make contributions on your own too, which I think is great. Um, one last question about you, and that is, how often do you call your brother and, and offer advice about football?
3: <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> yeah. Well, we you know, there's, there's my my parents have nine children, and I'm the eighth of nine, and Art is the oh, oldest of nine. Sure. So um, we have a we have a couple text chains, and um, <laughs> but we we really try to to respect that Art has um, you know a tremendous amount of of uh, I don't want to say pressure. I, I think he loves what he does, but but uh, you know everyone everyone sort of is is watching him. Um, and, and I I think wants to give him advice. So we really, I think his brothers and sisters try our best to, to not give him too much advice, give him. You know, as, as much as encouragement as we can, which is is I, th- I hope and I think usually pretty good. But um, <laughs> uh, you know, every once in a while something slips. But uh, for the <laughs> most part, we we try to contain ourselves, and I and I think Art appreciates that.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, I bet I bet those would be a uh, hot ticket item that they you know where they released someday. Your text chains, I'm sure, are fascinating. Um, let's talk a little Let bit me about. Say this,
3: Will. <laughs> uh, we we have you know we we are fortunate enough we we sit in a, a box during the game and and art and my father actually always sit in and one a little bit closer to the press box. But but you know, occasionally we, we bring guests and usually guests, you know, are, are in, in other places in in the stadium because we're so boring. It's so intense during game time. You know, it's it's like you doing your work uh on a movie set. You know, we're 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 sort of working and and people are always like, Oh, we'd love to sit with you and, and then halfway through they're <laughs> like, oh this is so boring and so intense they they prefer to be out in the crowd or, or somewhere else.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's a, a different experience. I'm sure when you're personally invested that way, it's um, a little bit like watching your kids maybe uh, play soccer or something. Yeah, without great the example, I don't want to call them <laughs> kids, but uh, that's a great. I think the analogy fits. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Well, l- let's talk about your your father, Dan Rooney. Um, you know, from from our perspective, as as not only a Steelers fan but a and somebody who grew up, you know, following the team. You know, I basically, as a little kid, I remember back to an era where people didn't even know Pittsburgh had a football team. I mean, I'm serious. We, my father was a diehard sports fan and loved football. And we watched, we thought the Baltimore Colts were cool. You know, that's, that's what I, that was, I thought with the local team. They were successful at that time in the late sixties. And, uh, it, it seemed like all overnight, you know, we had this uh, revelation that, oh my God, not only do we have a football team, but maybe they're good. Uh, and, and, and I think that that had a lot to do with, I mean, the hard, it's, it's very hard to maintain the success. And I think that's a, you know, great legacy, but I just wonder if you talk a little bit about how your book touches on how Dan Rooney had this idea of taking a franchise and an organization that w- was dysfunctional and that wasn't really successful and turning it into something really successful to, to me, that's an incredible accomplishment.
3: Well, so so let me let me go back. First of all, I, I think the Colts there's a lot of Pittsburgh Colts fans as you know because of Johnny Unitas from in that that time frame. Sure. And uh you know, Johnny Unitas actually beat my father out for a for a high school all-star team here in Pittsburgh. <laughs> my father was a senior, Johnny was a junior. So we have we've have history there. But, but to <laughs> sort of go back to the Steelers story and I I go into this in the book, you know, my grandfather was a great promoter. And when we think about business, you know, you think about relationship development, relationship management, whatever, you know, whatever, um, buzzwords, business buzzwords we want to use. My grandfather was just great at it. He was just, he, he related to people so well. He was so authentic. He was able to build these just fantastic, meaningful connections with people. But, you know, he, he wasn't as focused on the operation as, as, as you know was required, I guess is the best way to say it, and my father saw that and, and he, he saw the benefits my grandfather brought, but he really focused his life on you know building expertise around business he studied that in college you know he came out and really you know worked with with my grandfather you know to to change the the, the core you know culture as we like to say, although I think this this story goes and and tells a a truer story about culture than most people want to say. You know, culture takes a long time to build, and if it's done well, it sustains itself. So, you know, if you have a a six-month problem or even a two-year problem, if you have good culture, I think ultimately it will work itself out, and that's what we talk about. Him bringing, you know, my father was great at hiring. You know, obviously we know the three coaches in 50 years, but Joe Gordon, who ran our PR, who really... You know, worked with my father to be the architect of, of what we call Steeler Nation and all the fans we have in California and Arizona. Uh, Bill Nunn, who was one of the first African American scouts and, you know, we, we drafted more players from the HBCUs of historically black colleges and universities from 69 to 78 than any other, uh, team. Um, you know, the doctors we had were innovative. The relationship we had with, with PNC, with, with, with the, what is now the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Um, you know, in every way back in the, the sixties and seventies, my father was putting this plan together and it was very, very detailed, you know, very specific and, and, uh, you know, and we got lucky too. You know, you, you can't, you know, we did everything well and, and a lot of those players that, that ended up being great. I don't know that everyone expected to be them as quite as great as they were. So, um, so it's a story of, of, you know, I think vision and then having the, the perseverance and the commitment to not get caught up when you go 1-13 and 13 with this new coach in his first season. Uh, you know, sure. those types of things.
0: You know, it's funny. Uh, every team, when they draft, they think, oh, you know, all these guys are going to be future Hall of Famers. And the Steelers actually famously did that in 1974. They basically drafted not only four hall of famers should be, uh, you know, a fifth as an undrafted, uh, pre-agent with Donnie Shell. I hope this year. Um, but
3: you know, it's like they actually lived the dream, which is right. Which is great. And you know, I, I, I I'm pretty sure Colb was in that draft. And I know Randy Grossman was in that draft. So you've got contributors too, that were, you know, four times Bowl champions, starters on those teams. So that was, I mean, all, all of those drafts from 69 to, you know, 76 were, were pretty amazing, but, um, you know, certainly 74 was, was beyond anyone's imagination.
0: Sure. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I love that you touched on somebody I feel is a really important contributor to not only the Pittsburgh's dealers, but to, um, you know, sports in general and, uh, in, you know, a lot, of, just a lot of things, Pittsburgh, um, the civil rights movement, so on and so forth. Bill Nunn, um, is a guy that I think is often overlooked. And I'm, I was really pleased that you, um, not only mentioned him, but talked about how integral he
3: was. Yeah. So so what's interesting is, you know, we, we, we know those of us from Pittsburgh know Bill's story. Um well, you know, he grew up in the Pittsburgh Courier. Bill had this has this just fantastic life story. You know, he comes to the Steelers, he finds those guys that no one else was looking at. Uh he actually had been finding them before and, and teams in the AFL in particular had been drafting on on off of his all Star. You know, he put together an all-star, a, a black college all-star team every year for the Pittsburgh Courier, and folks were using that as a guide, even though they weren't scouting as well in, into those schools. And so, Bill has this great history. Well, what we did in the book, we really tried to research the benefit that he brought and that, and that those players brought, and we show that you know, from a productivity standpoint, there's more sacks, there's there's greater yards from scrimmage, there's more touchdowns, just about every metric. um, You could see that, that the players from the HBCUs were outperforming their peers. And, and, you know, Bill just opened that door for us and, and then you, then we show the, the connection between that and, and the winning percentage. Uh, so it's, so I thought that was, that was something that was really interesting in the process that, that there hadn't been such a a hardcore sort of empirical analysis and, and Kelsey Morris, who's part of my research team, really led that. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was, especially part of it, but it was really cool to see, yeah, this isn't just anecdotal, but that there's there's a real way to measure how important Bill was.
0: No, I mean, it made an impact on the game that we watch now, you know, uh, that players from everywhere, and particularly from, you know, and, and when you consider what the barriers were at that time, in, introducing these players who deserve to be in the NFL and deserve to be part of the legacy of it, who are now, you know, now they have that, I mean, maybe there's still some barriers to smaller schools and things like that, but None of that happens, I think, without without Bill Nunn. And and to segue back, without Dan Rooney, really, because you had to have somebody who had the power to change things to be involved in the process. Um, I think one of the more remarkable things about your dad's, not only his work, but his life was his ability to have these personal relationships with people that transcended differences. And I, I feel like a really special thing about a great manager or maybe a great person is you can be the same person to everyone but you have a unique relationship with them and i think certain people just care about relationships with other people that way
3: well you said that very well and i think on a a certain level he learned some of the relationship side from my grandfather who as i said was so good at that but my father really understood the context of of you know taking that quality and balancing it with his business competence and understanding that you you need to relate to people that well but you do need you know you need people that can perform and and trying to bring people that are the high performers into your organization. Bring people that are going to be influential. We talk about you know the the peace process in Ireland, um, you know, which which he spent another forty years of his life concurrent <laughs> to winning Super Bowl champions. But this this amazing ability to have a willingness to listen to someone that has a different point of view and a point of view that in many times he knew he was never going to completely agree with but to give them time to air their voice to feel like they they have a seat at the table and then work with them you know we hear so much about civility but he really lived that he had you know Hard and and constructive conversations with people at points of time when you had impasses. In in you know, a case of Ireland, you had violence. In the case of the civil rights, you you know you had you had this terrible bigotry. In case of labor, you had you know a major negotiations. And sure. always bringing those different points of view to the table, respecting them and not giving up his own point of view. And I think it built respect to people, if you will, on the other side of the table to say, okay, this guy. Is genuine. He's really going to listen, and that that trust factor, I think, you know, became so important to to getting whatever you know resolution would come about to, to come about.
0: I think you hit on the right word there. Genuine. You know, it's like people. I think we, as human beings, dealing with other human beings, you have an innate sense of who's who's real, and the, especially in a business where you know anything like sports, entertainment, people. There's a lot of people who are not real. <laughs> and who uh, can't be trusted because of that? Uh, and it's amazing that he managed to keep that that sense of uh, being real
3: and genuine throughout his throughout his life and career. So can I jump back to what you oh, said yeah. just for a little bit on the one thing that you know he, we would talk about branding, and I heard him say this. And, and as I said, Joe Gordon, who was our PR director, who we would call you know chief communications or chief marketing officer nowadays, you know he and my father built the Steeler brand, and they built it in a very specific way. And it wasn't, you know, it was the exact opposite of how many brands are built. You know, they felt like Chuck was putting this team together that was, you know, about toughness, about, uh, you know, hard work, about sacrifice, about dedication. And they felt that that reflected Pittsburgh. And so, when when they were making a conscious decision about communication about marketing about you know engaging the public in any manner you know it was not how do we get something from them it was are we aligned with what they really believe is important and and they believe that you know Pittsburghers are tough you know that they're they're kind people but they're they're you know that the toughness in this town as you well know is like few others but the <laughs> sure. kindness also is and and how do you how did how did you hit that spot and so they were constantly talking about that from a branding standpoint so it wasn't manipulating and I'm not trying to criticize others but it wasn't trying to convince you of them it was are we aligned with what these people believe and 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 what their you know what their mores are etc and and so it was very conscientious and I I believe you know when when you go to a, a an LA Chargers game and there's you know 15,000 Steeler fans or you go to an Arizona Cardinals game and there's 50,000 Steelers fans. Those aren't, those people aren't, all aren't transplants from Pittsburgh. It's that they somehow, you know, my father and Joe Gordon and these folks communicated that, that we try to stand for those things and, and hopefully we did well. So, so he didn't believe that you, you tried to convince people what you wanted them to think, that you were what you were. And then people would think that way. That was the way he would, he would say it. So um,
0: no, I think that's important, and it's also important to note that really good branding is transparent. You never get the feeling that somebody is pushing brand to you. Right, they just are the brand, and that's why people identify with it. And now in modern culture, people try to create that artificially. But you know, it's sure a lot of work goes into staying on brand, and you know, but it's you know that identity of like what the who the organization was. You know, I think that's you hit on a key to. How the success started. The, the, the success started with this concept. This is who we are, and we're going to make decisions that are based on that, right?
3: Absolutely. And then, and then that gets into the the second part of the question you asked me about relationships. You sure. Know, if you if you do the best you can in drafting people who who have you know that de- the, that degree of self awareness that there's there's some. Uh, You know, some level of enlightenment. I'm not going to I'm not going to say everyone is is enlightened, including us uh, many days, but but that there's somewhat level of self-awareness. And you bring those folks in and then the relationships are easy. You know, we we look at them as different. We all get, I think, caught up a little bit in stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see Dan Rooney, who's 78 years old and Casey Hampton, who's, you know, an African-American guy from Texas who is 30 um, and why did they get along so well? Well, I think it's they got along so well because they were both just had that authenticity. They they knew who they were. They weren't they weren't trying to be something different, and and that commonality was was the basis of the relationships. Sure,
0: let's let's uh talk a little bit about the legacy because the organizational legacy, the brand legacy, uh, we've we've talked about a little bit, but you know, as far as the, being part of the NFL's legacy, obviously your dad oversaw this amazing explosion of the popularity of the NFL and of its same sort of thing you know, its brand identity was really forged you know its modern brand identity during that the period where he was involved with the league and feels like that you know that has to give you a lot of pride but not a lot of credit you know like you're behind the scenes and you get a lot of respect but you know why do you think he was so devoted to the league working and not just his franchise
3: Well, I think he felt that, you know, one, football was important. You know, he he believed that that both the complexity of it offered something different than the net sports, you know, soccer, hockey, basketball. Basically, you have X number of people between five and 10 doing the same thing, unless you're a goalie, Um, where, you know, in football, you have, you know, somewhere between, you know, eight and 12 distinct. Positions, and so the complexity was something he thought that was that it was a great sport, and that was intriguing. And then, because of that, you have this this reliance on team that I think also goes beyond what other sports require. And I think he really felt that was important that that you know, absolutely, my father appreciates individuality and 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 celebrates that, but he also thought there was something special about a community and people coming together you know to create a sense of of unity of oneness what, whatever buzzwords we want to use and he he hated buzzwords but but, but there was something <laughs> about sacrificing and 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 doing something for the person next to you and that that football really embodied that so i think i think those were sort of the the existential reasons for it mm-hmm. um and then on a professional level you know i i talk about this in the book you know he wanted you know, he was a competitive guy. He was he he wanted things to be effective and and to that degree successful. So he wanted wanted to see all those things. But he was also troubled by that growth. You know, he he struggled to see, you know, someone in Pittsburgh wearing, you know, two thousand dollars worth of Steeler gear when their house might be worth less than fifty thousand dollars. You know, that that really bothered him. And, um, you know, you could criticize him because you'd say, well, well, could he have done more? I don't know that he could have done more, but he was always conscientious about, you know, let's make this thing great. Let's not be making decisions based upon money. And and you know we'll get rewarded the way we'll get rewarded, um, but but let's not focus on that. And and, and that and now he was cost conscious. You know he, uh-huh. he didn't like wasting money. But um, you know it's funny because so many businessmen <clears throat> would say the opposite, and in the long run, there's very few I think that that outdid him both in terms of of recognition, which he didn't he didn't pursue nor you know, nor financial gain, which he didn't pursue. And both of those, he, you know, he, he did better than most. Um. Yeah. So I, that's, that's sort of the message that, that I, you know, that's the overriding message of the book.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say it, it really transcends being about sports or about the Steelers. And it's really about this, this, you know, leadership and team, you know, building that it's just a small thing. Like I'm a person that grew up playing team sports and valuing what it was like to be part of a team, and in a way, I was less uh, interested in, in individual accomplishments in life, and always gravitated towards things that were uh, about that necessitated team building because they were more rewarding in the end. You know, when it works, it's an amazing thing to be part of.
3: I think you hit it on the head. I think it's leadership. I think it's team or, or culture building, whatever you want to whatever you want to say, and then it's change agency. You know that that you know the other thing people want to see. Uh, you know. I'm not, I'm not certainly not going to get into politics right now, but, but, you know, people, I think people want things to improve. And, and when someone's willing to stand up and try and improve situations, especially situations for the good, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be hard to do and it takes a lot of work. But when they see someone who does it, uh, you know, I think people, people like to respond to that.
0: Sure. And I, and I appreciate, um, you know, not only you being with us, uh, but I, I couldn't let you be here without talking for a second about the Rooney Rule because, a, it bears the, your family name, <laughs> and, and b, I think it's had a really significant impact not only in the NFL but in other places. and And I know that that's a really important part of uh, of Dan Rooney's legacy. Do you think it's effective? Do you think it continues to be effective? Um now that the uh archetypes like the Dan Rooneys of the League are out of the NFL?
3: Well, so that's a great question. So yes, I think it's I think it is a very effective tool and I think that it has been proven to be a very effective tool, um, sometimes more outside of football than in football. But I think if you ask, you know, uh folks at Stanford, because I know they've had this conversation in the business school, you know, it, they have considered it one of the most effective tools in the hiring process to increase diversity. So, so expanding the pool of talent, I think, is, is something that, that everyone believes in. Now, from a, from an execution standpoint, um, that's where the second part of your question really comes to. And, um, look, my brother's on the committee and I think my brother is, is, is every bit as dedicated as my father. Uh there was a gentleman named John Wooten who just retired from uh, a an a- external group called the Fritz Polter Alliance and, and John worked with my father to be an advocate. But you need leadership and and, and I talked to a gentleman from who, who helped establish Google's culture. Uh his name is Laszlo Bach and, and Laszlo has just started his own firm but but he was one of the core guys in creating the the culture at Google, and he talked about the, he talked to me about the challenges that they had with diversity because of STEM and, and those types of things. But he said, look, you know, they spent a lot of time studying this, and they said, you know, he told me you know, what your father did with the rule was so important that you need leadership to become the advocate on you know the case by case basis that that their hands are in the soup. You know, you can't there, there are parameters around any hiring decision that you have to respect, but that, that everyone in the process has to know that there is a leader at the highest levels who's willing to make the commitment to make an initiative like this work. So that's something my father did. He really was, was a strong advocate during his life, not only in in sort of bringing the rule about, but I think more so making sure that that things worked at the head coaching level, at the general manager level, at the assistant coach level, that at the, um, of uh, the referee level and all of those cases since 2003 you've seen significant um increases. Now we're at this point where you know, you've had two years that that weren't as good. We'll, we'll see what happens here coming up. Um but certainly some of that goes to the absence of my father rather than the rule itself having some sort of you know problem with it. Sure.
0: Well, I mean like I said it's if it, these things have to survive it's like a an entrepreneur business, you know, has to survive the founder into the next generation, and the next generation. Right. <clears throat> which, which, you know, your family company seems to have done pretty well with that, um, right. but not everyone. Well, and I think successful. if you look at the
3: Rooney Rule beyond, you know, it, it is it it is making strides in other industries. So so sure. that's where I think that that you can say the rule has been effective. Um,
0: yeah, can think, can I can uh, I offer a story up? Which is, I'm part of a film awards group. And it started five years ago, the the year that the Oscars were uh, sort of very non-inclusive, um, right. in- and and one of the things we talked about was you know foundationally being wanting to have it be more diverse, more more women, more just diversity in general. And the first thing I said was, well, we need the Rooney Rule, <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. We ended up incorporating it um, so that we always have candidates in the nominations. Um, that reflect that, it made a huge difference in the impact of what we ended up doing. And I think I'm not alone. I think that's, like you said, I think that's, it's just a really simple concept that's very effective. And in a way, like you said, people want change in the world. Change where it's a simple concept that doesn't take that much to implement that makes a difference. Uh, That's sort of an amazing thing.
3: Well, you know, what's cool is that Francis McGarmid, who you know, Push for the inclusion rider right around that same time. Yep, spent time in Pittsburgh. She went to college, uh, you know, in uh, right outside of Pittsburgh at Bethany, West Virginia. So I don't know if it's something in the water, but you have some great <laughs> advocates from this this region on that. So
0: you no, know, sure. Well, I I do think it's a uh, you know, and I in the book, reading the book as a Pittsburgher, I can relate to so much of the you know, it's just the idea that if you live in a diverse place with a lot of different kinds of people side by side. It changes your viewpoint on the world. But there's something about Pittsburgh, as I always like to say, it's a really good place to be from.
3: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's great great it's, you know the the most hardworking people I've ever ever seen anywhere in my life are are Pittsburghers. Hey, can I give the book a quick plug? Yeah, I was just about to say, please. Great, great. So the book is called A Different Way to Win, Dan Rooney's Story from the Super Bowl to the Rooney rule. Uh, it is available at Amazon. You can also get it at Steelershop dot com. Um, uh, in Pittsburgh, you can get it at Giant Eagle. If you're in in Western Pennsylvania, they've been a great partner. But um, uh, you know, I appreciate that it took me you know two and a half years. I talked to fifty different folks, um, but it's been a special experience to be able to tell this story. So, Will, I I really appreciate you taking the time to uh,
0: let me I appreciate tell, you. tell it a little more. I appreciate you, you uh, writing the book and coming on the show as a guest. I enjoyed reading it immensely. Um, if you are a Steelers fan, a Pittsburgher, or somebody who's interested in just the unique story about relationships with people, managing uh, others, it's a fantastic read. Jim, thank you very, very much for being with us. Go on by it. A different way to win. Jim Rooney, thank you very much, sir.
3: Thanks, Will. It's great to be on with you. Look forward okay. to talking to you sometime soon.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks very much. Hey! And there you go, gentlemen. How about a a big thank you to our guest, Jim Rooney? That was actually kind of an interesting conversation. Plugging his book, A Different Way to Win. Um, you know, we're we've we've arrived, gentlemen. We've we've had you know a member of the Rooney family on our show now, so I think we get a merit badge for that. I'm pretty sure. Um, A a little correction. I think the Rooney family has arrived now they've been on this podcast. Oh, there you go. Yes. (laughs) Also true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Very, very good point. Um, Well, now that we've earned our merit badge uh, and credibility for having the Rooneys on there, let's try to get rid of all that by going to our Around the League Pick segment brought to us by...
1: com. You can get uh, dog beds, shirts, bumper stickers, flags to find things. The always adventurous Mike Carrera, and uh, I'm trying to remember the schlep from Sunday Night Football that's on their their referee because John he's an absolute John. John there Perry. you go. Know, oh, he's not as good as uh, Washington, PA. Jeans. <laughs> yeah. Is this thing on? Somebody needs to bring me another drink. Um. But yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's been a rough week for the officiating experts in the booth. Because, a rough season for them because you know I'd like to have that job of trying to predict what the, what the calls are going to be overturned or not. Um, it would be so. a lot <laughs> easier.
1: Guess the next time New England's going to get caught cheating.
0: Unbelievable, man. This whole—I mean, that thing has legs. I think, Perch. What do you think about the New England uh, filming thing? Because it—you know—they they use the same excuse, same cover story that they that the insiders claim that they had been told to use uh, in that article that came out in 2015, and, you know, there doesn't seem to be any real good explanation for filming hours of B-roll of the Bengals' sideline on a piece that's supposed to be about the advanced scout scouting the Browns. It
2: is word for word exactly what they were told in the last investigation, what they did. Here, here you go. Hire some schlep. Tell them to go there. Listen, you're going to go. You're going to say you're part of craft productions. You're going to point a camera at the other team's coaches. You're going to steal all the signals that they do. If anybody asks, you know, we're doing, uh, some, some piece on do your job. What other NFL team's doing that? Right? How come we've never heard of the San Francisco 49ers or some other team who, who got busted with a camera crew filming some cutesy bullshit, uh, for, for, for media in a, Games they're not even involved in. That, that's the thing. It's the team that you're going to play in the next couple of weeks, and people say, oh, well, they don't need the, the film to beat the Bengals. The Bengals are horrible. Well, probably true, but it's also a rookie coach. They've they got all brand-new signs and things. that They need to add it to their collection. And, you know, the thing that made me so mad the last time, was Steelers, who I think were probably the team in the NFL who was most affected by the cheating scandal. 2004, directly after that game, Heinz Ward comes out and says, They were calling out our plays. I don't know what happened. They must be so much better coaching that they knew every single thing we were doing. And something didn't, it's never passed the smell test. You've never seen a major dynasty in any sport where they had just a bunch of average joes. Any dynasty was a collection of great players and Hall of Famers where the Patriots are pulling guys off of practice squads and out of nowhere. And they're winning because they know what the hell's going on. And I was so mad because Bill Cowher and the Rooney family basically schlepped for him and said, oh, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Don't worry about it. And the reason everybody did that, it, you know, the tapes and everything were buried because they don't want a major scandal basically infecting the integrity of their entire multi-billion dollar operation of the NFL. And I think the same thing's going to happen again. They're going to give them a slap on the wrist. They're going to bury these tapes. And that's going to be the end of it. But we, know, we already know what's on them. They basically have somebody in the booth filming directly, which you're not allowed to do. It, the signals of a team they're going to play the next week. Uh, it just, it's, it's enough to make you not watch the sports.
1: I mean, I wonder if it's, it's more true- of- Go ahead, FC. I'm sorry, go ahead. Just you- remember, like 18 months ago, two years ago, you can still go listen to the clips. Eric Mangini was not employed by a team and by a, or by a television network. He was on XM radio, and he gave the exact rundown of the original Spygate, and he said, yep, that he was a snitch. He called Bill Belichick on that Wednesday, and he said, Bill, I know what you do, and you better not do it to me. And Bill Belichick's exact words, response to Eric Mangini were, fuck you. We're going to do it, and there ain't nothing you can do about it. And what Eric Mangini's immediate thing that he did was, he called NFL security, and he let them know. And I'll put it this way. The hubris and New England, they just they think they're above it all. And I'm telling you, Roger Goodell is going to have to draw a line in the sand. And I don't think they're going to take the team off Robert Kraft. I won't be shocked if they ban Bill Belichick from the NFL for at least a year.
0: No, I think you could see something more serious in terms of the punishment than than people are thinking right now because I do think that you can see the escalation in the in what they puni- the punishments that they've given them and the, particularly if this is a repeat performance of what they've done before that makes it pretty tough to not give them some significant punishment but I I'll, I'll, I'll raise a point I wonder if it's more than just the hand signals that the coaches are giving that they're looking for uh, you know everybody's been assuming all along it's about these hand signals, but the I wonder personnel if too. yeah I'm just wonder if it's just everything it's like it, it gives uh, someone who has enough time on their hands and is interested enough information it's you know uh, th- about that team that they can extrapolate from they can see you know the the personnel groupings and the you know they can see who talks to who who is taking coaching and who isn't. Um, you know, who is making mistakes, who isn't in terms of what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, just a, a body language, certain things that might be, you know, tells, I just feel like you, like, imagine if you were a poker player and you accumulated video, you're a professional poker player and you accumulated video filming of all your opponents that you're going to play in a big tournament and it just allowed you to study them for a long time to try to figure out their tells and figure out their process and what kind of you know system they use or what kind of mistakes they make their mentality i just feel like any information you get is useful and if you if you're able to get it in a way that other teams are not allowed to do even a little advantage i think would make a big difference in the NFL if you're really if you're all about analyzing that information and it feels like you know, people talk about analytics, like statistical analytics. I feel like the Patriots have been 20 years ahead of the rest of the NFL in terms of breaking down other teams and really analyzing what's going on, um, not just in I a su- superficial football sense. Go ahead.
1: I would think that you were crazy or off base, but I watched Carson Palmer play for 16 years in the NFL, and I'll be a son of a bitch if every time he licked his hands before he took the snap, he would lick good to his hands. He was throwing the football. If he didn't, it was a run. And that was true at USC. It was true at the university or at Cincinnati and it was true for the Arizona Cardinals. And you can go look and it stands up 85, 90% of the time he had a tell. He licked his fingers. He was going to be throwing the football on his throwing hand and he did it all the way back to Southern Cal.
2: Yeah. Yep. I'll tell you it's what, it's, uh, Ben's, got, Ben's got a good one, too. If you ever watch the game with me, I can always tell when Ben's handing the ball off. He's got a certain lean to his back on, on run plays he doesn't have on pass plays. Shouldn't probably throw right. it out there, but if you watch, watch, you'll see. It's a certain forward-hunching lean because he wants to get lower because he's going to bend. He's too lazy to stand up straight and then bend later. But it's, it's little <laughs> things like that. Even just Being a Steelers fan, watching the games over and over and over for years— I sit there every time, hey, it's a run. People are like, how did you know it's a run? I could tell by Ben's posture hand- out of a shotgun when he's handing off. You know what I mean? So yeah. little things like that. But this whole thing goes back to the whole Ernie Adams thing. The guy who snitched on him the first time, they said it was 75% effective. The 25% of the time it wasn't effective was when a team was coming from the sideline in, and they didn't they didn't have to call the play in from the sidelines. You know, it was yeah. basically the play was going in with, with the players. So. The fact the NFL didn't bury them the first time, uh, the fact that they haven't taken away significant, you know, uh, championships or whatever else put asterisks by things, uh, it tells you all they need to know. The, the league's making money; they don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize that. I'm sure this will be a slap on the wrist again. It's just, why aren't the other teams all
0: cheating too? I, I, I don't know. Maybe they are. We don't know, but it's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Could be. Well, uh, before we move on, just I mean, I think Duck has a little tell. Here's one for you guys to watch. It's the opposite with Duck or not opposite, you can, you can pull out when Duck is uh, passing from shotgun. Um, he will anticipate the snap with a little backward lean. So he's just slightly starting to move away from the snap um, before the ball comes, which is, which is natural to think about him you know, not doing that on a run play because he wants to stay engaged to be right there to hand the ball off. Um, but if you're going to pass from shotgun, you want to get your feet set. Backwards and you know, so on and so forth. So just a little thing to watch out for. I think he's not the only quarterback that does that. I've seen that a couple couple other uh, oh, quarterbacks. They
1: don't wanna get their hips open. Yep. They want to get exactly. their hips open so they can get their belly button at the target. That's modern coaching. That's Tom House one oh one. Your <laughs> belly button uh, gotta think about that Prescott with his little hip thing, that little I don't know if you guys seen it, his hip release exercise that he does before the game. That all quarterbacks that are young and they can still do it. They want they want you firing your hips at the target because yep. you're supposedly less to seal the football. I'm,
0: I'm glad you uh, cleaned it up and didn't use Mike Leach as your example, as you know, instead of belly yeah, button and I'd hips. Like sure. <laughs> he, he uses some other anatomy. Um, anyway, Chance, yeah. let's talk about this week in the NFL. Um, just a just a quick thought. I mean, I was just picking games on uh, you know CBS Sports dot com uh for some, you know, reason that I feel like I have to pick games. Um Baltimore, hundred percent of people who have picked the game have selected Baltimore over the Jets. It's at Baltimore, you know, the spread is sixteen and a half. Um I'll start with you, Perch. I mean I, all I will say about this game is the Jets defense and particularly their run defense, like their front, I feel like they're capable of of at least slowing down Baltimore's offense and making it a challenge. I don't have any faith in the Jets offense. Could this be a closer game than 16.5 points on a short week? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 16.5 is a huge number. And I, I was thinking the other
2: way. I mean, they got a young quarterback. He can make some plays. I mean, he may be horrible one week, he may be great the next. It's just kind of that learning curve for a young guy. Um, yeah, 16. Every NFL team is talented. I mean, the difference between the best team in the league and the worst team in the league is a couple of players, right? I mean, it's not a huge difference. So I, I think the Jets certainly can keep it close. But Baltimore's got to be a huge favorite to win that. Baltimore's a tough place to play to begin with. Their defense is playing a lot better. And, and their offense, just nobody's been able to really slow it down much. So I think Baltimore wins. but I'm probably with you. I, I think Baltimore wins by 13 or 14 and not 17.
0: Yeah, how about you, FC?
1: I agree with Perch. But I think people are very much underestimating the talent or the, the playmakers and the skill position players that the Jets have. <laughs> You're paying the tight end. Admittedly, correct? Yes, sir. Um, I think Robbie Anderson is a very good wide receiver. I I, I wouldn't make a move on him if I was an NFL team and he was coming up on free agency. He's long. He's lanky. He runs good routes. He's quick. He's fast. He'll get not the fuck out, hold on to the ball. He's a pretty decent team guy. Jamison Crowder is a very nice slot receiver. Le'Veon Bell, love him or hate him. I figure he's going to play. The Lau Powell. They have talent. Um, their offensive line is eh. But Baltimore's, I expect Baltimore to win. I, expe- I agree with Perch. I don't think they'll win by more than two touchdowns. So I would take the Jets and the points. And I will not be the least bit shocked if the Jets pull an upset.
0: Well, it reminds me a little bit of the, um, you know, if a game were in New York, I'd feel, I'd feel better about their chances. I just feel like a short week for Baltimore coming off a couple of uh, really uh, emotional games for them. That it'd be easy to see them at least uh, you know, not playing at their best. So I'll take both, I will take the Jets and the sixteen and a half. I'm not sure I think the Jets can win this game, but let's, like that wouldn't surprise me if they kept it close though. Looking forward to that actually. Because you never know, puncher's chance. Um let's go to Green Bay in Chicago. It's at Green Bay. Packers are a four and a half point favorite. Uh FC, I'll start with you. Uh, you know, it feels like Chicago maybe coming on just a little bit. Uh what do you feel yeah. about this game?
1: Chicago is coming on a little bit. They're going to really miss Roquan Smith this week. Uh, the Packers have regressed, man. Aaron Rodgers all of a sudden looks like an old man. Um, I'm going to hold my nose, and I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers over Mitch Trubisky, and I figure that he'll find a way to win by six points.
0: Oh, do you think Aaron Rodgers is better than Mitch Trubisky? Well. Wow. Uh,
1: just kidding I don't know if you've seen him the last few weeks but he's a fucking old man
0: it doesn't yeah it doesn't seem I don't know he doesn't seem to be so magical right now but maybe that will uh, you never know Perch what are, you, what are you thinking about this game I'm thinking that uh, if I was a
2: Chicago Bears fan and this was a Chicago Bears podcast the amount of F words that be coming out of our mouth every week, overtaking Mitch Trubis- <laughs> Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's like as it's good as that defense. I mean, we're we're talking about back to back championships, Bears dynasty. I mean, just uh, how uh, how good would they be, you know, with Mahomes? But. Uh, I'd be shocked if Trubisky lasted as, as an NFL starter beyond his first contract, I and mean, I just don't see it in him. So, uh, yeah, the Packers. You know, I think Aaron Rodgers has always been a, a notch overrated, but I'm going
0: to take the Packers to win and cover in that game. I think that's way too many points. I think these teams are pretty close, Who and it's a big points? Yeah, I just feel like it's too it's too close a game that it's two more or less evenly matched teams playing a division game. Four and a half points is a lot of points, and you know, even not being a fan of Trubisky necessarily, uh, I think you know Chicago might actually be more talented other than quarterback. So I'm going to take the Bears to cover. Um, I guess Green Bay to win. Bears to cover. I don't know. I'll take the Bears to win outright. Um, I think they might be a little bit a little bit better than Green Bay, and uh, I feel like that division is going to come back together at the end. Um, so it's a thought. Um, let's see. How about the Rams in Dallas? Maybe for our last one. The Rams are a one-point favorite at Dallas. The Rams looked absolutely brutally bad when they played the Steelers earlier this year. Uh, and the last couple of weeks, they look like at least as good as the team that went to the Super Bowl last year. Dallas has been everywhere, up and down. Um, I'll start. I I think Dallas is... I wonder if Dallas's linebackers, who have kind of been off the mark a little bit the last few weeks, if they might be a tough matchup for the Rams who like to run a lot of those crossing routes and send little guys over the middle. I think you got Jalen Smith there. Maybe that's a good matchup for Dallas. Um, I like, I'll take Dallas since it's a one point game. I guess I'm taking Dallas to win, uh, over to Rams perch. What do you think? Just think the Rams are more talented. I think they're a better team. The Cowboys are schizophrenic and, and I just don't trust them. I think the Cowboys
2: season comes down to that game against the Eagles. And one of those teams are going to back into the playoffs at eight, and eight. Um, uh, I, I think you know the Rams still have a shot at making the playoffs, and, and they've got pretty much got to win out. So I'm going to take the Rams here.
1: There you go. FC. I've been gambling legally <laughs> or illegally for 30-plus years. In those 30-plus years, I have never seen an NFL line move five-and-a-half points like this line move. Dallas Cowboys opened up this game as a five-and-a-half-point favorite. You say the Rams are now a point favorite? Excuse yep. me. With six and a half points. You can go check what the line opened at on Monday. Monday at noon. Um I love the Los Angeles Rams in this game. Um Boy blunder Sean McVeigh and I do not have the best relationship, but he seems he has them playing. And I don't know what Todd early did, but he seems to have found a, a step or two that was missing. So, yeah, I'll also take the Rams.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I just feel like this is one of those NFL games where it's a week-to-week league is what we're going to say after it's over. Because, yeah, the Rams are hot right now, and it's easy to imagine them beating people. I feel like the Cowboys are going to have a little desperation. That's Maybe that's why I felt like that's going to be a little different. But anyway, that's why we're here to agree to disagree, gentlemen. And speaking of agreeing to disagree, uh, let's move on to our five-star matchup, which is, of course, a five-star matchup because we're in it. Uh, and we're, we're in it to win it. Sunday Night Football, your Buffalo Bills visiting your Pittsburgh Steelers. In a way, this might be the most entertaining, exciting matchup the Steelers have this entire season. It just feels like it's uh, two even and uh, similar teams, both in a similar spot, trying to make the playoffs. Um, got there in different ways, weird ways in a way. But I'll start with you, uh, Perch. What do you think is going to happen this week's game? Pittsburgh Steelers hosting the Buffalo Bills.
2: Just, I mean, it, to me, it's going to be a very, very predictable game. You've got two teams that really rely heavily on their defenses. Tough defenses, tough to move the ball on, tough to score on. You've got two offenses that, you know, can kind of get it done here and there. To me, it's going to come down to can the Bills' defense force the Steelers offense and young quarterback into turnovers. If they can, they can win. Or is Josh Allen going to be able to make some big splash play, extend the play with his legs, or just chucking the ball 70 yards downfield and completing the big pass? If those two things don't happen, I think the Steelers overwhelm. I think that uh, Steelers defense is going to be too tough. Uh, Allen's going to be seeing ghosts. He's going to be getting hit a lot. Um, I think the Steelers win a tough game tight close game uh, I, I'll call it something dumb like 18-16 Steelers win
0: oh dumb now we dumb. Have, we're judging scores now oh my god Um uh, field goals man <laughs> field goals Boswell everybody
2: everybody uh, say your thank yous and, and prayers for, for Chris Boswell's resurgence this year we haven't really? talked about it enough,
0: he's been great we, uh, we we forgot to talk about the NFL game this week where there was like uh, were there 13 field goals or something 12 field goals in the game Crazy. Anyway, um, FC, what say you?
1: I also have a weirdo score. I got the Steelers win this game 23 13. Um, I think the Steelers are going to do just enough offensively. I expect the Steelers' defense and special teams to control this game. Um, a lot of people bring up Chris Boswell and they should he's had a fantastic <laughs> year. Ignore the garbage stats of net and average punt and look at field position one. And critical punting average, and I'm not big on metrics. Jordan Berry has really bailed the Steelers out of some really shitty situations this year. Um, he showed in Arizona what he can do. He really opens up Danny Smith, pull him to open it up and he finally had to punt 70 yards in the air. Um, I believe field position, ball security are going to win the day. And I think the Steelers are going to be just a little bit better in both areas. So, like I said, twenty
0: three sixteen Steelers. Yeah, I'll tell you what. You guys know I've been on Buffalo all year. I, I, you know, I thought that Buffalo has been a little bit underrated all season, and I and I kind of like the potential for the future for Josh Allen. And um, I feel like you know at times Buffalo has played really well this year. Um, if I were a fan of their team and I were watching their season, I would be really encouraged by what I've seen and like their defense a lot, so on and so forth. Um, Not this week. I'm sorry. Uh, You guys are underestimating the situation here. This is Carolina from last year. Um, We may not have the offensive quarterback and tools that we had last year against Carolina, but I think the Sunday night football for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoff run um, in December, uh, you know, they are going to overwhelm the Bills in the early part of this game. The Bills might, like, like I said, Josh Allen has been known to, you know, stir it up and you know, figure out a way to make plays late in the game to make it closer, but I don't think this is a close game. Uh, I think the teams are evenly matched, but the situation is just terrible for the Bills. Um, the Steelers, I think, are going to win this game big. I'd like 30 to 13 for your Pittsburgh Steelers, which, you know, I, you know, a defensive score or something set up by the defense, at least, um, but I feel like this is not a close game. I won't pick them to pick score 50 like they get against Carolina, but I think that's the that's the emotional model for this game. And I w- it wouldn't be surprised if not only is the crowd absolutely crazy, but the Steelers come out absolutely on fire. And, you know, it'll be to the Bills' credit if they can survive the onslaught of the early part of this game because I feel like it's going to be... This is the kind of game where the coach loves to, like, uh, come out on a firing rather than play conservatively just because it's Sunday night and the emotional part of it. So that's what I think. One thing, Go ahead. One thing I'll add to that, though, uh, to FD's point. Watching the Bills the last few weeks...
2: Their punter's awful. I mean, backed up in his own end <laughs> a couple of times, yes. just complete shanks. I think that's going to be a bigger factor than we really let on. If it's a, a tough defensive and field position game, our punter's doing really well, and their guy is just sketchy. So want
1: to throw that in there. No, oh, Little baby FC likes to gamble, and Mama keeps the purse strings tight if he's losing. So I got to be on the punters <laughs> and shit like that.
0: Well, Steelers, you know in the don't talk metrics, the DVOA, they're they're a top 5 special teams unit this year, which is the first time I can ever remember them being that high. Uh and Buffalo is 22nd, they're in that bottom tier. So you're right, that could make a big difference in the game. You just never know when, you know, a couple of key special teams plays make a big difference in the scoreboard sometimes. Um last word, I'll I'll, I'll start with you Perch, unless That was it from you. Yeah, uh, Drew Rosenhaus finally got a little bit what was coming to him with the uh,
2: dickhead Antonio Brown uh, basically throwing him under the bus saying he's not uh, not standing up for him in his latest rants where he called Ben a loser and everything else but go back to the tape and listen to what I said a year two years ago when I told you how Antonio Brown was gonna melt down and it happened and uh, I said pretty much the only thing that can really happen to save that guy would be the people closest to him especially his agent pulls him aside and gets the guy some help I don't know if any team would ever sign him again at this point it's it's pretty tragic because he's one of the three most Gifted, talented, exciting receivers I've ever seen in play in the game of football. And it's just sad to see where he is. And uh, at this point, uh, I, I, I kind of hope he never comes back. He deserves it.
0: I mean, Steve Howell, you know, is the guy that they were wiping cocaine off his mouth and sending him out there in games. Yep. <laughs> so it's, anything's possible. But yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer guy in Rosenhaus. FC, last words.
1: I was had the opportunity to go to the team. Uh, this, this Sunday, and I was all ready to go. But then I stopped and I thought about my last trip to Pittsburgh. And uh, it was a great time, and I had a great time, and I remembered to look on my nephew's face whenever I got back. He turned 18, got accepted into the Naval Academy as a cadet, doesn't play sports, doesn't do nothing, just a good kid. So uh, bought him first class ticket and gave him they're they're good stealer tickets to airline. so just remember it's the holiday season it's better to give than to receive and um, hopefully he doesn't get hammered and his mom doesn't want to fucking kill me whenever he gets back <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with that well, I
0: was just going to say, you know, he's a good kid and he's in your family so it's like a miracle, sort of
1: hey, I know it is <laughs> that's great we, 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 we need to get that 23 and me <laughs> <laughs> just to Mom's make sure baby just to make sure There's no
0: way my brother's this good (laughs) oh my goodness yeah well um i guess my final word is going to be i just feel like you know just enjoy it i don't know how long this ride is going to last you know i don't know if it's uh seven games from now that will be like oh my god the run they're on or if it's you know this is the end of the line but either way um it's been a really enjoyable season in a way because you don't know what's going to happen it's like uh you go into the, you start, you, it's a stre- streaming television series that you love, but you kind of have an idea where it's headed. It's not as much fun as when you watch something and you have no idea what's going to happen. And I've always said, that's what I really like about sports is not knowing what's going to happen. Um, which is why it's harder and harder to watch new England Patriots games, but, <laughs> <laughs> but this week, uh, I think it's, I think it's just, uh, I'm going to enjoy the ride no matter what happens, but I'm, uh, I'm pretty optimistic about what's going to happen on Sunday night. So maybe I'm crazy, but you know, I feel like that's how it goes. Um, I just want to say a special thank you to not only uh, Jim Rooney for being an excellent guest of the, coming on the program, uh, but also to Kelsey Morris who helped set that up. Uh, and uh, if you guys get a chance, get out there and uh, get yourself a copy of A Different Way to Win: Dan Rooney's Story from the Super Bowl to the Rooney Rule. Dan Rooney's a really interesting character, man, who did a lot of amazing stuff. And I think, you know, he's, uh, if you're, if you're interested in, I don't know, just interesting stories about the history of the NFL and about, you know, Ireland and leadership to put an organization together. I think this thing that we all do, you know, this, the podcast, the fan boards, the being, you know, diehard Steeler fans and Steeler fans being everywhere in the world. I just don't think it could have ever happened without Dan Rooney. So, um, just wanted to shout out to uh, Mr. Rooney, the ambassador, and to, uh, also to Jim, like I said, for being on the show. Uh, FC Perch, uh, Lewis Lip Service, everybody at the website, SteelerFury.com. Thanks for uh, making the show possible. And uh, for all of you listening, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I am Bradshaw of Ben, Accidental Zen, Will Massasack, saying, go get them, Steelers. Let's talk next week after a big Steelers victory, guys.
1: Go Steelers.